0: go ahead and begin this morning by turning to Genesis chapter 27. We're continuing in our our study of Hebrews 11 of the the people there, the characters there, the men and women who give us case studies of real people with real faith, real situations, living in faith in the Lord. Uh, They are not... Uh, They are not super people. They are not super Christians or super Jews or or whatever you have. People often look at the the 11th chapter of Hebrews. I've heard it called the Hall of Faith. These are the famous people. These are the people with such tremendous faith. We could never get there. We could never get there. But, you know, it's something to shoot for it it's it's like you know and i don't know sports i mean the, the last people i knew in sports were were uh, sandy kovacs kovacs and uh um i don't know tom brady magic johnson you know i i don't do sports but it's it's like that it's like that level of tiger woods these are the tiger woods of faith they're not they're not this morning we're going to be once we get to Hebrews, we're not going to spend too long there because Hebrews 11.20 doesn't say very much about Isaac. Uh, in, in fact, what it says about Isaac is, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. That, that's what it says. If you just think about those words, it's kind of simple, it's kind of nice. A dad is blessing his sons, that's, that's really sweet. When you look at the story in Genesis 27, you, you find out that these were not nice people. These were not sweet people. These are not the kind of people we would want to pattern our lives after. Let's pray and we'll look at Genesis 27 and look at this story and then draw some conclusions. Father, we come to your word in humility, asking for your blessing, asking to be fed with the goodness of your scripture. We come to a passage that we're going to see is is filled with conflict. It's filled with some very troubling things. And so, would you give us the wisdom to understand why this text is in the in, is in your Scripture to begin with, and how to draw meaningful things for our own lives as we seek to follow you and grow in faith? And in your holy name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to be looking at the majority of, of chapter twenty-seven. So instead of reading it all at one time, we're just going to take it kind of step by step. We're begin with the first few verses. Uh, that deal with with jacob's deception or i'm sorry isaac's deception it says now it came about when isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son esau and said to him my son and he said to him here i am isaac said behold now i am old and i do not know the day of my death now then please take your gear your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. So Isaac is old. He's blind. He is apparently bedridden. He's close to death. Isaac is well aware that that when, uh, when Rebecca was pregnant with Esau and Jacob, the Lord spoke to her. See, when she was pregnant with the twins, she felt the twins struggling within her. I don't know if that's a common thing for moms of twins. Whatever it was, it caused her enough concern that she inquired of the Lord, what is going on here? And the Lord spoke to her in Genesis 25 and said, there are two nations in your womb and they are struggling together. And then, she, and then the Lord says to her, the, the older will serve the younger. The fact that we have that text in Genesis chapter 25, verses 23, uh, verse 23, the one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger, means it wasn't a secret. She heard it. She passed it on to Isaac. This was well known. Now that Isaac is coming to the time of his death, he's thinking about this. You see, Esau is Isaac's favorite. We see that in chapter 25 as well. Verse 27, when the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Scripture tells us in Genesis and also in Hebrews 12 that Esau was a man who was self-willed, governed by his appetites. In a very famous episode, he sold his birthright to Jacob. He'd been out hunting, he came back, he was hungry, Jacob was cooking. Esau said, I'm dying, I need food. And Jacob said, I'll give you a bowl of this, but you have to sell me your birthright. And Esau says, what good is a birthright if I'm dead? He's not starving, he's just a drama queen. He eats the bowl and he goes off, and now Jacob has the legal right to this birthright, and, and Scripture says he despised his birthright, and we see that again in the book of Hebrews. He was an immoral, godless man. He Esau, Esau married two Hittite women, two daughters of Heth, Rebekah calls them at the end of chapter 26. It's a decision that brings tremendous grief to Isaac and Rebekah because he has married idol worshipers. Now, Isaac knows this. He knows that his son is a wretched man. He knows that his son is godless. He knows that his son is immoral. He knows that his son is completely driven by his physical appetites. But Isaac loves his manly manly man son. And he knows that Isaac has given up the right to his birthright. And so he introduces deception. Isaac does. And the deception is that He says, we're going to do this blessing privately. If you look at Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob then goes to bless his sons, what does he do? He calls them together. And the blessing is public. Because what's happening is it's not just saying, you know, your mom and I were talking and we'd like to give you this. What's happening is he he says, son, you are now the head of the family corporation. And the whole family needs to recognize your position. Isaac is thinking, we're going to do Abraham, Isaac, Esau. That's the way it's going to work. God has already determined it won't be that way. Isaac says, we're going to do this secretly so that it works my way. Well, we see a a follow-up deception on the part of Rebekah. Verse 5, Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt game to bring home... "...Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father, that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death." Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice, go, get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved." Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. So Isaac has a deception he is going to secretly elevate Esau to the head of the family. Rebecca overhears it. The fact that Rebecca overhears it means this is happening in secret. One commentator I read said Isaac is old, he's blind, he might be deaf, he's got no idea how loud he's speaking. And so maybe it doesn't take much for Rebecca to overhear this. And she decides she's going to take advantage of his age and blindness to make sure that Jacob gets his rightful inheritance. Now we see that Jacob objects to this, but he doesn't object because it's wrong. He objects because he might get caught. He just doesn't want to get caught, but she has a plan. She's going to put him in Esau's clothes and put goatskin with the hair on it, on his hands and arms and on his neck so that if his father feels him and touches him, he feels like esau it seems to me that what we can draw immediately here is that isaac thought he could manipulate the purposes of god that god had said we're going to do this and isaac said well we'll just see about that and it seems to me that in a corresponding way Rebekah thought that god wasn't able to defend his own purpose that god needed her help If I don't step in and do this, she's thinking, God's not going to have his way. My son is not going to have what he's been promised. And then we come to Jacob's deception, and it's probably the best-known part of the story. Jacob came to his father, verse 18, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, The first lie I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up, please, sit and eat of my game, that you may bless me. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, Second lie. Because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. That's not only a lie, that's blasphemy. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. You see Isaac's suspicion? There's something weird here. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and and he said, Are you really, my son, Esau? Third lie. And he said, I am. So he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then Isaac, his father Isaac, said to him, and I think that this is another act of suspicion. Please come close and kiss me, my son, so he came close and kissed him, and when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, Ah, this is the smell of my son. It is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Jacob's right to be suspicious. Uh, I'm sorry, Isaac is right to be suspicious, and, and Jacob is just lying, lying the entire time. And you, you've, you've you got to think about Jacob sitting there in the tent, trying to get his dad to go ahead and eat and pass on this blessing. And and with one ear, he's listening for the sound of Esau returning. Because if Esau happens to come in with the food, it's all over. He's probably sitting there sweating under those freshly skinned goat hides. So when he finally gets close to Esau, Esau takes a deep breath and says, Ah, sweat, animal hair. Blood, this is, this is my son. And he finally formally blesses who he thinks is Esau. And the, the blessing contains four components. Now may God give you a dew of heaven and of, and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. So this is material prosperity and riches, primarily, obviously, in agriculture and livestock. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. So this is power and prestige and honor. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. This is formal leadership of the family. He's going to be patriarch. Isaac is thinking Abraham, Isaac, Esau. Cursed be those who cursed you and blessed be those who bless you. That's a summary of the Abrahamic covenant, which God gave to Abraham in chapter 12. And Jacob scoots. He's out of there as soon as this is done. And then Isaac learns what's actually happened. He learns the truth. Verse 30, now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac his father that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. Then he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And then he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. Isaac his father said to him, who are you? And what stands out to me is it's missing those final two words, my son. We see Isaac saying this all through. Who are you, my son? Come close to me, my son. Let me feel you, my son. But he's utterly confused now. Who are you? And he said, I'm your son. Your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, who was he then? that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of it all before you came and blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. This revelation that he's blessed Jacob and not Esau shakes Isaac to the core. When I looked at the original Hebrew text, there's three or four words that go into that shaking violently. It's really, in in Hebrew, in order to, to emphasize something, you add words. You add words. So often, what we'll see is we'll see blessing. He blessed him. Cursing. He cursed him. In order to emphasize the blessing. In order to emphasize the cursing. And and here it's like shaking violently. He was shaken violently in his shaking. It's really something that is has completely shattered Esau or Isaac. I'm sorry. He had such a, a perfect plan. God told Rebecca the younger or the older would serve the younger. I had a plan that was going to correct that. I'll do it secretly so that nobody knows until it's over. He tried to get around God's purposes and, and he violated social custom by doing it privately, and it blew up in his face. And what had happened was Esau had come to put his or Isaac had come to put his love of Esau ahead of his love of God. He knew that God had rejected Esau as his heir, but he loved Esau more. He didn't love Esau more when the boys were born. This is something that happened over time. But this is important. Isaac's love for Esau, as well-intentioned as it was, didn't change God's eternal purpose. And I don't mean to be blunt with it or harsh with it, but Yahweh essentially says, I don't care how much you love your son. That's not why I'm blessing and rejecting. I'm not doing any of this based on how you feel about your kids. This is my eternal choice. And my eternal choice, God says will stand. And so the, the Lord rips Isaac's self sufficiency and cleverness into shreds. And he loses the comfort of God's wisdom and sovereignty because of this fight against what the Lord is doing. And he gains nothing. He actually submits at the end That phrase, yes, and he shall be blessed at the end of verse 33. Notice he doesn't say, I blessed him, but now that I know the truth, I'll take it back. Now that I know the truth, I'll retract it. He says, no, this is what God intended. Yes, he shall be blessed. Esau is undone. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. And Isaac said, your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. That's a lie. Esau sold his birthright. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, and if if these words don't grip your heart, you're either not awake yet, or there's something hard within you. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, behold, I have made him your master. And all his relatives I have given to him as servants, and with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. My heart goes out to him. Maybe yours does too. But before we get feeling too sorry for Esau, let's remember a couple things. Let's remember that the testimony of Scripture is the testimony of God. And the testimony of God is Esau despised his birthright. That he was an immoral man, a godless man. Hebrews 12.16 says. Hebrews 12.17 says this. For you know that Even afterwards, when Esau desired to inherit the blessing, and we've just read it, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance, even though he sought for it with tears. There are decisions that can't be unmade. There are words spoken that can't be unsaid. There are consequences that can't be avoided. We want to think that there's always forgiveness available, that, that there's always an opportunity to turn it around and undo it. But what Scripture says is sometimes, 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, sometimes there is a sin leading to death, and no amount of prayer will turn that around. During the time of the wilderness wanderings, when Korah and the others rebelled against Moses and God... They were swallowed up by the earth. There was no forgiveness. There was no repentance. In First Samuel, we, we read about the sons of Eli. Eli was the high priest. His sons, who I, if I remember, were named Phinehas and Hophni, were at, they were also priests, but they were wicked, demonic men. They stole the offerings. They slept with women in the tent of meeting. And Eli said, what you're doing, my sons, is not good. But the scripture says they would not listen to the voice of their father for the Lord desired to put them to death. There is a point where God says, no, now you're past the point of no return. We know that that happens certainly at the moment of physical death. What scripture says is that can happen before death. Esau saw his error. He he understood his sin. He realized what it had done. It broke his heart. It it absolutely breaks his heart. He lifts his voice and he weeps. And he wants his dad's blessing. As a son, every man in here knows how much we long for our dad's blessing. How much it, it agonizes when you don't get it. How much it means when you get it. But it was too late. And in in case you're still feeling sorry for Esau, uh, I want you to think about that statement he makes in verse 36. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And the answer is no. Isaac didn't reserve a blessing for Esau. Why? Because Isaac had no intention of blessing Jacob. Esau says, didn't you hold anything back for me? And Isaac says, no, because I was going to give it all to you. And Jacob was going to get taken for a ride. Jacob was going to get ignored. We were going to leave Jacob out in the cold like an orphan. Remember that? Remember that was our plan? And now that the shoe's on the other foot, Esau says, well, that's not fair. Uh, It doesn't taste good, does it? We can turn to Hebrews chapter 11 for a few moments. Verse 20, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau even regarding things to come. And, and as I said at the beginning, it sounds nice until you actually read the scriptures and think about the story and who they were. Isaac favored Esau over Jacob and he thought he could outwit and manipulate God. Esau was an immoral, godless man. He was driven to satisfy his own appetites. He would already traded his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. He's more than happy to cheat in order to get it back so easily. Rebekah, who favors Jacob over Esau, believed what God said about the older serving the younger. She's really pleased for her son Jacob, but when God's promise seems to be threatened, she doesn't believe that that God can or will defend himself, defend his promise. (coughs) Jacob, who had a reputation for being an opportunist, only worried about getting caught, not about what they were doing being immoral. And you might think about these people. Uh, we've got this statement, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau even regarding things to come. And you might think about why didn't God choose somebody better? I mean, <laughs> we're, we're, Linda and I were talking about this, this passage a couple days ago. She says it's like the real housewives of Israel or something. Mm-hmm. It, it's like this, this soap opera. And it absolutely is. You've got four really despicable, wretched people. Why didn't God choose somebody better? Well, the answer, you know the answer. There is no one better. There's no one better. We're all born in sin. We're all born with a fallen nature. There's only people whose sins don't offend us. There's no such thing as a non-sinner. There are people whose sins are offensive to us. And there are people whose sins are not offensive to us. God says, look, if I'm going to work through people, I'm going to work through sinners. He's been doing that for 2,000 years in the church. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Peter says, I'll never betray you. Jesus says, really? Before the rooster crows in the morning, you'll have denied me three times. Peter says, I'll die with you. Not only would Peter not die for Jesus at that point, he wouldn't be even embarrassed for Jesus at that point. What does the Lord do? You're a failure. You're a sinner. I can't use you. Lord restores him. And by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. For all of the things in this story that should not have been, Isaac believed God. He believed Yahweh he believed that because he had been granted this favor by the Lord because of his father Abraham that the son he blessed would be blessed by God he believed that he tried to manipulate the outcome but he believed in God he believed that the Lord would do what he had promised to do that's why he makes it clear that he can't undo this blessing yes he shall be blessed because God has determined it to be so So we think about bringing this home with, with all of the confusion around him, with all of the divided loyalties and the family tensions. Isaac maintained a core of faith in God, in who God was, in his power, in his goodness. I think the situation had become so complex and confused that Solomon would have just shrugged and walked away. said, this one's beyond me, guys. But Isaac trusted God. He, he blessed Jacob and Esau in faith. It's hard for me to say he acted in good faith, but he acted in faith. And I want you to consider the, the beauty of Genesis 27. I want you to consider the beauty of it. These people were really wicked. They were really flawed. They were so wicked that the only way that they could have ever been right with God is if God had determined beforehand, I will make you right with me. And it wasn't up to them. Before Isaac was born, Abraham said, here's my son Ishmael. You can take my son Ishmael and pass down the inheritance through him. And God said, no, there is one yet unconceived. And I choose him before he's born, before he's conceived. When Rebekah is pregnant with Jacob and Esau, the Lord says to her, One of them is going to be in charge, the older will serve the younger. Romans 9 says that God chose them, he chose them, made that decision before they had been born, before they'd ever done right or wrong. He didn't choose Jacob because Jacob was a great guy. Jacob was still in the womb. He didn't reject Esau because Esau was wicked. Esau still in the womb. He made a sovereign choice about who he would take the line of redemption through. There is no one so bad that the Savior cannot save them. And there is no one so good that the Savior owes them. If you're in Christ today, it's because of His gracious, sovereign gift. Not because you're smart, not because you're good, not because you're better, but because He has settled His love upon you. The beautiful thing of that is because you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. When He settles His love on you, it's yours. Those of us who are parents or grandparents, you know you look at those kids and you love them. You don't love them because they're lovable. You might remember when I, I started here six years ago. I had, a, I had a goatee and about, I don't know, two and a half, two years ago or so, a year and a half ago, the goatee went away. The goatee went away because my granddaughter spit up in it and I didn't notice it. I thought she hit my shirt and I changed shirts. And then I got up the next morning and I thought, what's that smell? That's a bad smell. And I went all day thinking, what's going on here? And I finally realized, and I got in the shower, and I tell you what, I shampooed and scrubbed, and it was in there. And so off the goatee came. That's a terrible way to be treated. Two weeks old, and she's already puking all over me, but you know something, I would die for any one of those kids. I've settled my love on them. I settled my love on my kids before they were born. Didn't you? When God settles his love on his children, that love remains on his children. Let me offer you some points to keep in mind. We need to be people of faith no matter how confusing our circumstances are, even when we're the ones who confuse them. We need to avoid trying to... to stage manage God's purposes and trying to determine through our own efforts how he's going to do what he's going to do. We can get so focused on a certain outcome that we begin trying to manage it, and, and that's impossible. A huge part of faith is trusting that the Lord is building his house, that nothing will prevent him from building it, and nothing can knock it down once he's built it. We need to warn ourselves and others that repentance is a gift from God. I've had quite a few people tell me there's time. I'll deal with this later. And sometimes there's not time. I lost a high school friend to cancer several years ago who had rejected Christ when I was in high school. When I found out he was dying, I flew out to the East Coast where he had moved and spent several days with him and shared the gospel with him and he was weak. He was in bed. He was on pain medication. He was in and out of consciousness, but boy, as soon as I brought up the gospel, he had energy to fight. He had energy to argue and resist. The beauty of that story, of course, is he wore himself out, laid there, and his nurse came in, and she said, oh, are you family? And I said, no, I'm a friend. Oh, where do you live? Nebraska. Nebraska. What do you do there? I'm a pastor. Oh, I go to Mark Dever's church. Mark Dever is a wonderful pastor and." in Washington, D.C. How do you get saved, I said. She shared her testimony. How did you get saved, she said, and I shared my testimony. So we preached the gospel to my friend laying in his bed by sharing our testimony with each other. He heard it again. But he, he was dead in a few weeks. There, there, there are some points where there's no more repentance coming. We've got to be aware of that. We need to teach our children that sometimes you can make a decision that is a final decision. I've buried young people because they made decisions that were final decisions. I remember being 19, 20, 21, you think you're invincible, nothing's going to happen. And sometimes we can, as human beings send ourselves to the point where there's no more repentance. There's a situation in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul says, for this reason, some of you are sick and some of you even sleep. Some of you are dead because you've not considered the body. And it seems as though the Lord will say, you know something, Greg, you're drifting close to that line. I'm not going to let you cross that line. You're coming home now. We need to trust in God's ability to keep us. We need to be aware of the need to repent. And we need to warn those who are around us, this is not a game. You don't have the rest of your life. You only have as much time as God will give you. And we, we must do what we know to be right. We must live according to the word of God. We must keep a clean conscience. Proclaim the gospel clearly and faithfully and simply. And trust that the Lord will do his work. Father, we thank you for this story, as as odd as it is, as disturbing as it is, in many ways. You've placed it there in Scripture, I think, so that we would know that your decision to save is not based on our goodness or our character. Your ability to work is not dependent on our ability to help you out. Your determination to love can't be overridden. And Lord, we need to come before you with a humble heart. Not proud, not proud of ourselves and our lives, not proud of of others. But having a, a righteous, holy fear. Longing for the salvation of others. And not simply promising them the good things, but warning them of the judgment to come. And urging them while they have opportunity, while it is on their heart, while it is on their mind, to put their faith in you. And lastly, Lord, I I praise you for your faithfulness, for your sovereign love, for your love that doesn't depend on me, for your love that doesn't depend on the rest of us, but is given to us because you have determined to love us. And for the truth that nothing will shake that love out of you. So we rejoice in that this morning. Fill us with wonder at your kindness and your mercy. And in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.